Miss Mamsi Colleran and welcome to the Unlimited podcast which I've got the pleasure of hosting. This series is called Making Art Accessible so it's about making art, making accessible art and art that is accessible. Over three episodes we'll speak to a variety of artists and organisations. Some of the artists will be very familiar names to people and some may be new to you. So do listen and find out how much creativity and excitement there is around the whole world of disability arts. This first episode is entitled Access on a Budget. But it's not just about doing access on the cheap. We're talking to artists and organisations about how access can scale. I'll be asking artists whether, as they've become more established, that they've had access to more resources to enable them to produce better quality work and improve the access they can provide. And of course, we do go off on the occasional tangent. So, our first guest was writer and dancer Crystal Lowe, and we spoke to her about her approach to access and her work. We also talked about her recent BBC Culture in Quarantine Commission, Complexity of Skin, which I hope everybody saw, because it was fabulous. Hi, my name is Crystal Lowe. I'm a dancer, a choreographer and a writer and an early career director um, and filmmaker. My work uh, really explores themes of intersectionality, um, intersectional identity and um, well-being, mental health and empowerment through all of that as well. Um, And I create dance theatre works for stage, but also um, for public spaces and for film. So I guess um, I would have started um, my career as a dance artist in 2000, officially in 2012 with Ballet Khmeri. And so I I danced with Ballet Khmeri for nearly nine years. And over the course of that time kind of was able to explore access because of the work that they do to do with um, ensuring that their work is more accessible to a broader range of audiences and that was the first time I had encountered access at all as a term, as a term used in dance um, and to understand the importance of it. Before that it was never even in my mind as as a, not only as a need but for the sector or for my work but um, I just didn't even consider that I didn't even know of it (laughs) and so um, my first encounter with access and inclusion was the Ballet Khmeri and my work with them Um, and kind of over the years they're exploring touch tours as a dancer and how I you know I I engage the audience in the touch tours how um, I speak to participants and the language I use being more accessible during workshops and delivering workshops and so it's kind of little by little access was built into my career and working practice so when I began to write and create work it was kind of something that followed me something that I knew wasn't a fad in general and definitely not for me in my career um, but also something that I wanted to ensure was integral to my work and practice and not something that I thought about later or something that I even had to consider as a separate notion but that it was my work. My recent commission, uh, Complexity of Skin, a short film created um, in collaboration with Matthew Goff uh, for BBC's Culture and Quarantine series, was um, a, a really great moment for me to kind of explore how to integrate access into the film 
and it, it's a strange thing I guess originally my desire was to have the, the text itself in the film would be an audio description um, and so that it was a creative audio description um, but and I think in a lot of ways that did happen where a lot of the text explains very visually what's what's happening in some senses kind of but on a, on a deeper level where you understand the intent of what's happening and, and what's being seen I can't say it changed my approach to access because for me I have this kind of drive and passion to continue to integrate access into my work and even not to call it access anymore but you know we call it that so that it's understood but what that means um, but it's that it's inclusion to include more people in, in my work and in the displaying of my work include more people in just the range of audiences that engage with my work. And so for Complexity of Skin, we did have an audio description created, but the text um, in the film is so heavy, <laughs> it's kind of all a duologue, and so you just hear the voices, and so, um, the audio description kind of shows you, so you, you're with it, you can hear, um, yeah, what the sounds are, and, you, and, and the audio description supports that understanding. It gives you a visual of what the of what the characters look like. But I think more than anything, and and what I I want to do going forward, and what I'm exploring going forward, is is allowing people to have the same value of experience, and so the same quality of experience. And so maybe that the visuals are for an audience who cannot access the audio aspect of it. And so the text is so full and so rich and so co consistent. And the music that was composed by Kizzy Crawford um, w was is incredible. And so um, it's kind of understanding how my work can exist on multiple platforms at the same time and how each platform supports engagement in a different way so that instead of trying to trying to mold and shape and, and, and almost force um, maybe a, a visually impaired audience to ex have the same exact experience as an audience who is seeing, saying that they're not going to have the same experience and that is okay. And not only is it okay, it's actually good because a visually impaired audience can get something completely different from it that an audience that's seeing the visuals while listening isn't probably listening as in depth. And so for me, it's about understanding how I ensure that each element of my, of my work supports engagement. And I guess it was in one sense enabling to, in the access I could offer because they were very supportive of kind of, you know, seeking out the audio describer themselves. And so we didn't actually have to do any of that. They they handled that. Um, you know, we really wanted it audio described in Welsh as well as in English. Um, and that goes really in line with that kind of, my work is about that, those intersecting identities and those individual experiences. And for me, it's always about, you know, you're hardly ever just one thing, you know, if, if you're experiencing, um, from, I'll speak for myself, I'm a black woman, but I'm also a disabled black woman. And how do those three things, you know, um, I'm from Bermuda originally, and so not from this country. And so how does that add on? And so how do I support those people who are not just visually impaired, but um, also Welsh speakers? And, and not to make them choose, you get to either be a Welsh speaker or visually impaired, but, but we will never honor the two of, of your identity and that's just the two um, and so yeah so it was really important to us that that be in the Welsh language um, I have a, a blog on my website um, 
And I think for that, you know, we want to have... I mean, the, the goal for me, I mean, this would be the, the goal, the dream, would be that every blog that I wrote would be posted in British Sign Language, uh, written English text, Welsh text, and audio. Um, and audio simply not because there aren't screen readers, but to, to kind of get the feeling of the writing across that sometimes um, is lost in kind of a direct recitation uh, of a writing. I recently done um, a commission for Music Theatre Wales um, and they're, they're doing a whole new directions program to kind of explore what what opera is and, and changing the way people see opera and changing the way opera is also uh, performed and so that new audiences can engage with it and not just engage but see themselves in it and so I created a kind of a, a movement uh, opera film <laughs> um, and it was really important to me although as a writer who dances it makes perfect sense that I also improve my audio description skills um, and so I had a, an audio description consultant Tessa Khan and she kind of we kind of set out how we would do it um, that I would kind of write this audio description and then and then give it to her and she would read it and explore it and then let me know what what she thinks about it you know separate to it she had the she had the sound from the film and she had my audio description and she was able to give me that feedback and I think for me that that is important that I did that with her and not just kind of created it based on what I think it is and then sent it out there and that I got that feedback I think more and more I'm trying to um, explore this this question of what needs to be accessed and what is the purpose of the work? And so what do I want to share with those engaging with the work? And so that my default isn't to quickly try to force audiences to experience the same thing, which really um, just, it invalidates their experience of life. If you say how you experience everything has to be somehow navigated so your experience is the same as mine. And, and I think, yeah, I think yeah, I think it invalidates people's experience. And so it's not as, it takes not the pressure off of the artist, but it releases the artist from feeling like we have to somehow find a way to give everyone the same experience, which is impossible for anyone to do. You know, it's definitely impossible. It's about that same quality of experience that we're giving to people. And that, you can only do that once you know the purpose of what you're doing. You know, if you know the purpose of, of your work and what you want to share with the audience, then you find a way to share that in many ways through the same work. And so all audiences aren't receiving all of those ways and they don't need to because each way you're sharing that story, that purpose, that theme is just as as has the same quality as the other. And I think that's what I'm aiming to do going forward is that I explore the purpose of the work I'm creating and then explore then how I share that with other people. Thanks, Crystal. Next up, I spoke to Byron Vincent, who, by his own admission, does a little bit of everything. Just to let you know that there are discussions of trauma and self-harm within our chat. So if you'd rather not listen, just fast forward about 10 minutes. Hiya, Byron. Great to meet you. You too. How are you doing? I'm all right, love. Right, well, first of all, I'd like to say, would you tell us about your work, please, the kind of work you make? 
it's an interesting thing because I, I, I dabble in all kinds of stuff, uh, theatre, filmmaking. And the moment I'm putting on a, I'm uh, putting together a big club event at the South Bank for uh, people who suffer from like um, neuro diverse sensitivities, autistic spectrum sensitivities and um, uh, anxiety uh, issues because I've got a diagnosis of uh, PTSD and, and a bunch of other things. I've been collecting them since I was a... Collecting them like Pokemon since I was a kid. <laughs> and uh, to answer your question, everything from, from spoken word to filmmaking to theatre, um, visual art, you name it, I'll have a crack at it. And, um, and that's it, really. How did Access figure in terms of, you know, your work? Was it something that you thought of? when you were, you know, starting to develop your work and as it's something that as your work has gone on, you know, that you've thought about and considered more and more, both in terms of your own access requirements and access issues for maybe, you know, the audiences that you wish to talk to? I started in the 90s, um, in the early 90s, and... and um, the short... The quick answer is no, I didn't consider it. I didn't cons- consider it... And, uh, the reason is, is that it's a bit nuts, really, because like I, I was in hospital all the time. You know, I, I, I was first introduced to mental health services. Introduced, that sounds very formal, doesn't it? Um, uh, uh, to when I was 11. And I've been in and out of hospital ever since, misdiagnosed for most of those years, medicated for something for, for a diagnosis I probably don't have. Um, but um, I was... Above everything, I was kind of conditioned both externally and internally to just be in denial about what I was experiencing. From being a, a little kid, a little for as far back as I can remember, from my first day at, at school, at primary school, um, I was so overwhelmed by the noises and the lights and the other people that I just literally wanted to die. You know, I would, I would, I would do anything um, to um, to not have to go to that environment because it was so overwhelming for me. And and um, that was only real. That only really came to a head when I was eleven, and I start, I was self harming in quite a gruesome way to prevent myself from going to from having to go to school. Um, but to the rest of the world at home. I still had to go to school. There wasn't any change, you know. Um, yeah. I, 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 just, I just, I was just masking. I was just in, in massive uh, kind of denial about um, about what was going on with me and what I was capable of and what and what I could deal with. And so that just continued into adulthood. And to be honest, it's only the last ten years that I've been really considering any of this in any serious way. And in terms of um, in, so in terms of access, um, it's 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 been this this been this slow progression that came way too late. Both in terms of my own needs and the needs of uh, an audience as well, because I didn't know you were allowed to consider it. In fact, it was my connection with Unlimited that really start started me feeling like I was allowed allowed to have that conversation both about myself and the needs of my audience. You know. Absolutely. And I think further to that, I just wanted to ask you, you know, now that you're doing more work and you're doing larger projects, yeah, you know, and hopefully having better resources as well. Yeah. How do you feel that that 
is and will develop your work in the future? It will develop my work immensely. I'm, I am these days tirelessly campaigning and um, building a team to develop training um, uh, to educate people around the, the, the issues that myself and a bunch of people experience. And um, so I've got this... Um, I've got these. I've got my little uh, notes here of, of of some of the things that um, that I now I'm trying to 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 um, insist on at, at events. Um, stuff in terms of orientation and, and accessibility would be uh, like um, uh, pre-event virtual tours of a of a space. So if anybody's um, you know, especially in theatres and stuff. I work a lot in theatres, and if and if and for people like myself with panic disorders, if we don't know what's happening, it can be quite stressful. So that's a that's a thing. We live stream things for people who can't attend. Um, wayfinding maps and clearly delineated stuff. Uh, easy escape routes. Detailed scheduling. Uh, BSL interpreters and signing, etc. Um, uh, prominent centering of information. Uh, accessible. Um, uh, at table service and bars so you, so people don't have to fight the way through crowds you know really really simple things like that and then I've got like pages and pages of, of stuff on safety and support and um, and specifically neurodiverse related stuff around stimulation and and um, you know soundproofed areas and um, using the correct lights and um, uh, stim uh, 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 permissible stimming being made very very clear and just like this i mean there's there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of things on here that, that i'm sort of um i've been sourcing from from people um who i've been having uh, like i say focus groups with and stuff to try and make people's live experience as easy and um uh and and, and to remove as much discomfort as possible, but also create experiences that are that are comparable to mainstream experiences as well. That aren't like some some like that. It's not about uh, an event being um, like oh this will do <laughs> for those guys. It's like it's like everything everything that 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 uh, that I tr that I'll try to put on in future will be. Um, uh, sensitive to everybody's needs, but without any compromise. That's the goal. Absolutely. I mean, I think you hit on it as well in terms of, you know, as, as an artist, when you're, you're negotiating, bringing your work, say, to a venue or a, a particular event, often those issues are linked financially, aren't they? You know, well, you know, if you want to sign language interpreters and stuff. And I think they're the things that, Certainly, as you become more established, I would imagine that you found people a little bit more flexible. Yeah, yeah, and and that it really annoys me as well because I'm a. Uh, I, I, sometimes I reflect to myself as working class, but I'm not really working class. I'm underclass. I'm you know I'm I'm council estate raised, and 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 um, and uh, I'm aware of the privilege of access as well. Because I've experienced, you know, like, like a, uh, it's a sort of like it, the way I would think about it when I was younger was like, oh, that, that's something for middle class people to worry about. You know what I mean? Like that, because yeah. that, because that's where the money is. I've just got, a, I've got a, I've got to do the event. I've just got to like 
pull things where I can hustle, you know. And so, yeah. and so, I, and so, I, when it comes to access, um, I really re the people are really. Uh, yeah, I have no, I have no patience for for, for organisations with money not providing um, adequate access. But I have, I have uh, patience for um, uh, people, organisations, and uh, certainly individuals, freelance individuals who are just trying to get their work out there and can't afford and can't afford the 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 because it's 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 hard as a freelance artist it's hard and so what should be occurring is is that um is that uh those with the money are subsidizing those without the money and 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 so um uh, freelance artists have access to venues that are accessible and do take these things through through their structures seriously um, because otherwise, otherwise it's like, it's like, um, uh, you know, artists who are, who are, aren't financially well off artists from more disenfranchised, uh, and underprivileged backgrounds are going to feel terrible for not being able to provide access when they've got, they haven't got the finances, you know. Yeah. You, you talked about, you know, how, you know, you're taking on all these access issues and stuff. It strikes me that, you know as a group, that we are having to take those things on board in a way that most non-disabled artists don't have to. And I know we all have to think about our audiences and stuff, but most people don't necessarily yeah. think about whether there's going to be a stage in language interpreter when they're employed as an actor, for instance, in a play. Yeah, exactly. And it's not... And, and so, so so the thing is, and I, and I would I would bet it's the same for you as well i've always done way more work than most other artists because i've had to 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 navigate to navigate my own difficulties like so i've always been i've always done three times the work for the same end product because and 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 um and with access i mean we just sort of take it on don't we because like if we don't who else is going to do it it Absolutely. in an ideal world uh what we need is is people whose whose job it is to to uh, I mean I mean we've got unlimited and that's amazing, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and and organisations that 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 are that are doing that. But but it, you know every every venue should have somebody who's um, who, who's who takes on the role of thinking about this stuff. And, and, and so it's not the burden of the it's not just the burden of an artist and not just the burden of a disabled artist to to take on. Um, uh, and design and think about um, uh, access needs. It should there should be templates uh, already available that we can that we can use at least as a jump off point. You know. Well, thanks very much, Barry. It's been really wonderful to speak to you. I would look forward to um, hearing and seeing other pieces of your work. I know you've got podcasts out at the moment, haven't you? Would you just like to tell people about that and how they can access it? It's called the, the well. I've got um, I've got a bunch of the one I've been working on at the moment. Um, mostly is called Justice Disrupted, and it's about social and criminal justice. Uh, you can find it on all the podcast places. Next, we wanted to get an organisational perspective on these issues, so we spoke to Laura Waller, who's the Disability Inclusion Manager for Coventry City of Culture. 2021. With Laura we explored how they are producing a huge programme 
and in what way access is fundamental to this. So I'm Laura Waller, I'm the Disability Inclusion Manager for Coventry City of Culture Trust 2021. Uh, my role is to work with the rest of the team to ensure that the programme delivery is as accessible as possible throughout the whole year and into the legacy as well for City of Culture. So City of Culture is a competition run by the Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport every four years. After facing stiff competition from Paisley, Stoke, Sunderland and Swansea, we were named on the 7th of December 2017 as the UK City of Culture 2021 and our year started in May 2021. Our programmes, festivals, shows, events, gigs, discussions and activities have been inspired by the citizens of Coventry and reflect what matters today, showcasing different and new voices. Our aim is to show the power of the arts to heal, transform, excite and delight. The City of Culture Trust, together with some of our partner organisations from across the city, have come together to support those who might be considered vulnerable and those most impacted by COVID-19, including disabled people, to challenge the idea of us getting back to normal, so to speak. So one project, Reform the Norm, intends to reach out to those who've been most impacted by the pandemic. Uh, that was a crash course in cloud spotting led by artist Raquel Masagursafi, who lives with chronic pain and she explored the practice of public rest for those who need to navigate the world differently. To create her piece, which was presented in Coventry in October, Raquel had been collecting stories from Coventry residents who also live with chronic pain, have an invisible disability or are neurodiverse. This work invited audiences to think about the way our cities are designed for movement rather than rest and the way we view one another's behaviour in public. We've also been working with Unlimited. So in September of last year, we put a call out for deaf, disabled and neurodivergent people who live and regularly work within the Coventry postcode to apply for 10 micro commissions of up to about £1,000 each. We had a huge amount of very impressive applications and the final 10 were chosen and they cover a range of work that have themes of activism, community co collaboration, environment and public and digital spaces. These were a really diverse range of artworks which include an autobiographical comic book sequence which looks at the experiences of hate crime, a reimagined painting of Lady Godiva, an exploration of the Herbert Art Gallery and Museum's natural history collection, a slapstick theatre piece on the subject of isolation and an audio artwork piece documenting the soundscapes of different parts of commentary. So the challenge of making these works accessible has definitely been the sheer volume and pace of the events that are being designed and delivered. There are a lot of fantastic things happening. Sometimes there are things like unforeseen challenges such as cancellations of access providers. Yes, working with disabled artists has impacted our approach to access in a very positive way. Overall, it's improved our awareness as a team of some of the access needs and the barriers that we may potentially create, allowing us to avoid these and improve our approaches moving forward. So there's definitely challenges working across different venues and this does depend on the size. I think larger venues have the physical infrastructure, experience, staffing and budgets to ensure good access. The City of Culture events programme utilises different spaces, they're often pop-up and bespoke, which creates additional planning and thinking because there's no model of best practice already in place. An example is Faith, a recent event which has multiple outdoor performances, some of which had walking across the city. We worked really closely with production and producers to think about what potential barriers we were creating for audiences and how we could remove them at the point of design and creation. We also piloted our access stewards at this event who carried chairs, provided support with accessing audio description and BSL interpretation and we were then able to build upon this for our next outdoor events, listening to audience feedback and debriefing internally. 
I think if we could do it differently again, I think it would have been, have been beneficial to have been in my post a little bit earlier or to have somebody in a similar post a little bit earlier. The team had embedded huge amounts of work around access and the expertise of our producing and production team really impressed me. But I think due to the volume and speed of a city of culture, city of culture delivery, we have such a full and varied programme. Someone driving access and inclusion as their main role is essential. Yeah, I think that the attention of Coventry being City of Culture has meant it's more accessible in the city and that this does have legacy. The Trust are making sure that access needs are embedded in the planning of all activity, however large or small, so from local community events to more headline city centre events. A large part of my role is connecting and working with partner organisations to improve access as legacy of City of Culture. So strong connections have already been built as part of our Access and Attitudes Forum, which is a network of venues, cultural, arts, voluntary organisations and access providers in the local area with interests of ensuring access for disabled, deaf and neurodiverse people. We meet every few months and we share best practice challenges and, Im and improve the opportunities and access across the city. Next month, we're meeting specifically around relaxed performances and events and have speakers within and external to the city, improving our knowledge and expertise, which will only benefit us as a city moving forward. Thank you, Laura. That was really informative. Next, I spoke to artist Joanne Haynes. Joanne runs sensory participatory performance workshops in which she uses dance, movement, music and paint all with producing partner, Mind the Gap. Hiya, Joab. Hello, Mandy. Hiya, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Brilliant, thank you. Now, Joab, would you tell us a bit about the kind of work you make as an artist and the kind of work you do with Mind the Gap? Yeah, I like really like performing and I really like doing art. So in 2018, I had an idea putting those two things together. So I talked to my line manager, Charlie Ward, and then I, then Jess, who helped me, who is a producer, she wrote, she supported me to write an application and hoping to make another show called Dancing With Colours in the future. Brilliant. What do you need as an artist to make the work accessible for you? I need time and some support and some reminders if I get lost or confused. And what about working with other people in terms of, I know you lead a lot of workshops, is that right? Yes, I do. So what do you do to make sure that the work that you do and the company does is accessible to other disabled people? I include sensory things like see, touch, smell and hear. For my first project, it was called Colourful and I worked with lots of different groups in, to create a big piece of artwork, use the clock face to, with my plan, with pictures to help my plan so I could, could follow it easily. You know, when you first started performing and doing artwork, were you thinking about access very early on or is that something you've thought more about as you've worked with more people? As I always think about access, I always make sure, from my own experience, for once, um, there was a work thing 
at Mind the Gap where there was a lot going on and I needed to take a little break. That's my own experience. So I always make sure that no one is feeling unhappy and I always change my plan if I needed to. Brilliant. And do you think your work has, 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 has the access stuff that you do got the better, do you think, the more work that you've done as you've got more experienced? Yes, it has got much better as I got more experience and I adapt to in the moment to make it more easier for the people in the room, the group that I'm working with. And is that something you've learned along the way to make sure that those things are in place? I always do it at Man the Gap and outside Man the Gap too. I know I found when I first started doing drama workshops that it took me a while to realise sometimes even the things I needed to ask for. Yeah, yeah, I do know what you mean. Did you find that? Not really. I, I always ask for help if I need it. And sometimes I don't, and then I get myself in a tease and then I'm like, calm down, calm myself down, and then I ask for help. Right. And do you get support in the workshops as well from other company members? Yes, I've got Vicky, who's helped me out a lot with the plan, and I've got a dancer who's called Brainy, and I've got Jess, who's my producer, and I've got another dancer called Rachel Dean. And they're, they're in the movement dis- section, so they help me move and make sure that I make it accessible too, so it makes it easier for them. So in some ways you've got a whole team of people? Yes, I have. And how does working with Mind the Gap make a difference for you as an artist and what you can provide in terms of access? They always help me. They know what I need and if I need more help, I'll ask. I don't overthink, and it's my project, so they don't tell me what to think. They, it's from me, not from Mind the Gap. Can you think of a piece of theatre or dance that you've seen, not from Mind the Gap, but from another that was really good and was really accessible? Yeah, um, when I went to Lowry in Manchester, we went to see a performance called another company called Lung Theatre, and it was accessible. They warned us about certain things like flashing lights, make sure there's not no noise, there's no loud noises, and they warned us before they went in. Brilliant. Well, it's been really lovely to talk to you, Joanne, about your work. Yeah, thank you, Mandy. It's been wonderful to meet you. So we've come to the end of the first podcast. It's been really good to talk to a variety of people about access in terms of what it means for artist practices, what it means for disabled audiences, and also what it means to organisations that wish to draw audiences of disabled people and showcase disability art practice. And have you noticed, no one's mentioned ramps or toilets, so marvellous. Next time we'll be exploring the limits of access, discussing whether there are any conflicts arising when trying to make accessible work for different groups. Thanks very much for listening and I hope you'll come and join us for the next one.
This podcast has been produced by Unlimited. Unlimited is delivered by Shape Arts and Arts Admin and is funded by Arts Council England, Creative Scotland, Arts Council of Wales and British Council.